morning, wherever you happen to be this morning, watching this Easter service, rise to your feet and sing this grand Easter hymn with us, would you? Churches all over the world wish that they could have their worship ministries together and their congregations together, and we just can't do it this Easter. But our choir and our orchestra, our musicians have been apart and alone for many weeks, just like you have, and so we decided that we would do something together separately. And so our Easter anthem this Sunday is together but apart. Watch this. I can feel the winds, they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. I can feel the waters rise. I can hear the howling lies that haunt me. Fear won't hold me now. My feet are on the rock. When I feel my hope about to break, I will cling to your unchanging grace. Let the waters come and the earth give way, I'll be dancing in the rain. My feet are on the rocks. I can see the morning light. I can feel the joy. 
Who said we can't come together when we're apart? I tell you what, my feet are on the rock ain't nothing but a fade away in your face to Satan. Y'all know how mad y'all just made Satan? He's been thinking all week that this Easter, because of the virus, churches can't gather, choirs can't sing, orchestras can't play, bands can't play, and y'all done gone and playing and singing and dancing in the rain. I tell you what, you, you, you reminded me of this. This is what you reminded me of. You reminded me that, hey, you know what? This Easter, this virus may be keeping people from coming to churches on Easter, may be keeping people from Easter, but it can't keep Easter from people, right? Y'all done gone and got the pastor all fired up. Now, I, th this week I was riding out on Hickson Pike, and I saw this blackbird swoop down. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in such a long time. I saw this blackbird swoop down on Hickson Pike, and with his beak, pick up a snake, about a two-foot black snake that was wounded, and the snake was flipping and flopping around, hanging out of the bird's beak, and the bird took off and flew over a fence and kind of settled on some property over at DuPont Elementary and dropped the snake and killed the snake, started eating the snake. And, man, I just couldn't help but think, this is not a good week for snakes, serpents, or Satan. Good God! God is good! So I want to invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and open to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we are going to be in chapter 1 around verses 12 through about uh, verse 20 this morning. And I want to speak to you on the subject, Easter Island. As I was studying for this message, Easter Island, I did a little research on that Pacific Ocean island called Easter Island. I was interested to see what it has to do with Easter. And so I read its history about all its famines and its civil war and its... Uh, population crashes and its cannibalism and its epidemics of disease and slave raids and rat infestations. And as I read on and on, I read nothing about Easter. In fact, Easter Island has nothing to say about Easter. But Easter has something to say about Easter Island. The only reason it's called Easter Island is the Dutch explorer who discovered it, discovered the island on Easter Sunday in the year 1722. So here we are in 2020, almost 300 Easter's later, and we find ourselves on our own individual COVID-19 stay-at-home shelter-in-place islands. And I wonder, just like for that Dutch explorer who found this island on Easter, I wonder if Easter has anything to say today about our individual islands we find ourselves on this Easter. Well, long before Easter Sunday of 1722 and long before Easter Sunday of 2020, John the Apostle whom Jesus loved, John the Revelator, found himself on an island, an island called Patmos. And as he's on this island, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and the Bible says he has an encounter with the resurrected Savior, the risen Savior, the hope of Easter. He had an encounter with him in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. 
And thankfully, he wrote it down. And we have it in front of us today. And just as Jesus, the risen Savior, had something to say to John as he was stranded on his island on that Sunday, Jesus has something to say to us as we find ourselves stranded on our islands this Easter. So dive in here with me. Come in here real close and dive in here with me. In Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to start reading around verse number 9 and read through verse 20. So here's what the Bible says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of, of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not. Now, I can't think of a better message for the world on this Easter than Jesus, the risen Savior, saying, Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Father, we're so thankful for this letter written to the churches. The revelation is certainly about the future. It's certainly about prophecy. It's absolutely about Jesus. But even more, or even, even also, it is a letter written to the church. And so thank you for speaking to us today on this Easter. We'll give you praise, honor, and glory through it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. I want to drop this thought in your heart. We call it here the big idea or the sermon in a sentence or the essence of a sermon in a sentence. And I personally call it the takeaway. And so today's takeaway that we're going to take out of this text, and I pray that God would place into your heart today, is simply this. Jesus brings hope into your heart home. Jesus brings confident assurance. That's what hope is. Hope is confident assurance and Jesus is the one who brings that into your home and that's my prayer for you today that Jesus would bring hope into your home. Now how do we know that on this Easter when we are locked down on our individual islands that Jesus is the one who's going to bring hope into our home? Well I'm glad you asked. I want to share with you five ways that we can know this, five reasons we can say this. That Jesus brings hope into our homes. Number one, how do we know this? Here we go. Jesus is near, not far. Jesus is near, not far. Notice how John begins in verse number 12. We're going to start in verse 12. And John makes a statement. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now we need to pay attention uh, to this, these first person, personal pronouns that John uses here. I and me. Then I turned and to hear the voice speaking to me. You look back in verse 9, you see I, John, your partner and brother and partner in the tribulation. You read on, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard a voice uh, like a trumpet saying, I turned to see the voice speaking to me. So here's a couple of observations we can make from just simply paying attention to these pronouns. Here's a couple of observations. Number one, we can know that John was alone. 
That's the first observation. John was alone. His family's not with him. His church isn't with him. The disciples aren't with him. He is right by himself. He's alone. Now, we know something about his family. If you recall, at the cross, when Jesus was suffering for your sins and mine, in John 19, John records this account. Jesus looks out, and he sees his mother, Mary, and he sees John, the disciple whom he loved, and he says to his mother, woman, behold, your son. And to John, the disciple whom he loved, he said, behold, your mother. Well, what was happening there? Well, Jesus was taking care of his mom. That's what was happening. He knew he was about to leave and die and not be there anymore to care for her. And he wanted to make sure she was cared for. And so he put those two together. They became a family. And the Bible says from that hour forward, the disciple took her into his home. Well, where is she now? Is she with John now? No, she's not there. Now, John is probably in his 90s now, so she's most likely dead by this time. But he's alone. That's the whole point. Maybe this Sunday, maybe this Easter, you are alone. Maybe you're alone because you lost a loved one to death. Maybe you're alone because a wayward child has still not returned. Maybe you're alone because you can't get to the hospital to be with your loved ones because of this COVID-19 virus. Maybe you're alone because someone's abandoned you or walked out on you. Maybe you're alone this Easter. John was alone. You know, we had a big family Easter celebration planned this year and not going to be able to have it. We're going to call it Easter with Evan. I've got a brand new nephew. He's six months old or so. And we're so excited to have that his first Easter we were going to spend with him on his first, like Evan's first Easter was going to be with us here in Chattanooga. My mom was coming, my stepdad, my sister, my brother, my, my sister-in-law, and, and my brand new nephew, Evan. They were all coming and going to worship with us here at, at Red Bank and celebrate Easter with us. And it stinks that they can't be here. It stinks that our home's going to be empty on Easter. It stinks that this room is empty. It stinks. We're alone. In fact, I'll say this about my, my little nephew. He's awesome, by the way. I got, I got to say something about him. He, my, my, my brother and his wife, my sister-in-law, they are doubly blessed because my nephew has the same name that I have. My middle name is Ivan. And also, not only does he have the same name that I have, he has the same looks that I have. So they're just doubly blessed. Doubly blessed. And we're going to hate, we're, gonna, we're not going to see him on Easter. Hate it. We're going to miss him, and we're not getting together. John was alone on this island. Maybe you're alone as well. Well, there's another observation we can make. Here's a second observation. Not only do we see in verse 12 that John is alone, but in verse 13, or verse 12 through verse 16, we can make the second observation that John was not alone. He was not alone. Well, you just said he was alone. Yeah. But you got to keep reading. We discover he's not alone in Revelation 1, 12 through 16. Look what the Bible says. And in the midst of the lampstands, verse 13, and we just read in verse 20 that the lampstands are the churches. So in the midst of the churches, guess who's there? One like a son of man. The resurrected Jesus is there. And so we see that in John's separation, he's not left alone. Although he's separated, he's not left alone. Jesus is with him. Jesus is there. Now, I know uh, that it's difficult, all this waiting, to see when everything can get back to normal, and the weight of waiting is so heavy. But we need to know that Jesus does the heavy lifting, and while we're waiting, he's watching and he's working. And I know this waiting feels like wasted time, but listen to me, Jesus never wastes any time. He didn't waste any time with John. He's not wasting any time with you. So in his separation, he's not left alone. Jesus is with him. His presence is there. He's in the midst of the lampstands. And notice, in John's sin, he was not left alone. Jesus is wearing a robe. He's wearing a, a, a sash around his chest. It's a priestly garment. It means that Jesus is our great high priest, that he paid the price, the penalty for our sin. He, he took the punishment of our sin upon himself. For it was laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In his sin, John was not left alone. 
In his suffering, John is not left alone. Notice the hairs on the head of Jesus. They are white, like white wool, like snow. That speaks of wisdom. It speaks of him being all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows all things. His eyes are like flames of fire. He can see everything, and he knows everything. So in the midst of John, in all his suffering, John's probably in his 90s. And you know, aging in this age is something that's kind of viewed as negative. Right? I mean, it's just a negative connotation that comes with aging because as we get up, I mean, there's a reason why you stop counting birthdays after a while, right? I mean, there's negative connotations with that. We tend to get weaker as we get older physically. We tend to, uh, to not be able to function as we once did mentally and physically as we get older and older and older and it's viewed in a negative light with even with COVID-19 people who are older are more susceptible to the contracting the virus and but I've got news for you in the new heaven and the new earth aging is a very positive thing not a negative thing Jesus's hair is white not because he's old and decrepit and weak it's because he's wise and all-knowing and sees all things and knows all things and even in John's suffering at 90 years old being alone on an island by himself maybe you feel like that today but you're not alone Jesus is with you even in your suffering Jesus is with John in his insecurity notice what it says about Jesus's feet they were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace stable strong unmovable his feet were solid you know with everything changing and everything continuing to change we can know that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever he doesn't change he's permanent that's the picture of the feet with burnished bronze so even in John's insecurity he wasn't left alone and praise God also in his uncertainty he was not left alone. Because I want you to see what, what happens next here in verse uh, 15 and 16. We see that his voice, Jesus' voice is like a roaring waters. His, his, his right hand is holding and protecting the pastors of these churches, the messengers. The word of God is coming out of his mouth like a two-edged sword. His face lights up like the sun. Let me tell you what's happening here. I can sum it up like this. Jesus' presence, his very presence, gives us assurance. Jesus' presence equals assurance. And John is assured that even in his uncertainty and even in his insecurity, that he is not left alone. Why? Because Jesus is near, he's not far. Now, I know we're in a time of got, got a distance. Physically, we got to be distant. We got to distance ourselves, right? I've read all kinds of numbers. I've read six feet. You've got to be six feet apart. You've probably seen the signs. Please stay six feet apart. Please stay six feet away from each other in stores. and Stay six feet away. And then I read, that's not enough. You've got to be ten feet away. I read a report earlier today where one university says, well, you really need to be 20 feet away. And then MIT in, 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 a, in a medical journal said, you know, this virus can actually travel 27 feet indoors. So you got to be 27 feet away. It's like we're getting further and further and further away. If things continue to progress as they are, I'm afraid we're going to hear pretty soon in order to Zoom, you're going to have to be so many miles apart. Distance, distance, distance. Well, the good news is Jesus is not distant. He is near. He's not far. In Psalm... The psalmist writes in Psalm 145, 18, that the Lord is near to all who call upon him. He is near. In John 1, we read that Jesus actually climbed into this suit of flesh and dwelt among us. That he's not far, he's near. We read in Romans that there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even COVID-19. He is near to us, not far from us. We know in James 4, we are commanded, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Listen, you can have confident assurance in your home today because Jesus is near, not far. Number two, how do we know Jesus is the one who brings hope into our home? Well, Jesus was scarred for what you are scared of. Jesus bears scars for what scares you. He was scarred for what you're scared of. Now, verse 17, I saw something this week that I've, I don't think I've seen before. I don't think I've made the connection before, and it just it overwhelmed me. In verse 17, you'll look and see what the Bible says. When I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as though dead. You know, John in his sinful state just could not handle the glory of Christ. Let me tell you something. If we could see Jesus today in all of his glory, it'd be too much. Our sinful state couldn't handle it. The wages of sin, the wages of sin is death for a reason. They wouldn't allow, God's people weren't allowed into the Holy of Holies for a reason. Our sinful state just can't handle it. And when John saw him, he fell at his feet as though he was dead. And then look what happened. But Jesus laid his right hand on him, saying, fear not. Can I remind you, that's the same hand that the Bible says at the end of the Gospel of John, that Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I'll never believe. These are the same hands that the psalmist writes and says, that they pierce my hands and feet. This is the same hand. Where in Colossians we read that Jesus canceled our debt. God did by nailing it to the cross. It's the same hand. It, it, this is the, the same hand who took John's sin to the grave is the same hand that is extending John grace. You've heard the saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Brother, we, we've done more than that. We've crucified the one that saves us. And through that crucifixion, he saves us. And through his resurrection, he proves that he's the one who saved. You know, we just saw a video earlier uh, from the Passion of the Christ, and there was a scene in there, I noticed it, where there's a hand coming into the screen holding the, the nail. And, and, and Mel Gibson testifies that although he financed the movie, produced the movie, directed the movie, he didn't want to be in it a whole lot. There's a couple of places where he's in it, and that's one where he's holding that spike that was driven into Jesus' hand. And he says, I did that because I want the world to know that it's my sin that Jesus died for. And Diane Sawyer asked Mel Gibson, well, who killed Jesus? And he looked at her and said, we all did. We all did. And Isaiah kind of echoes that in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, surely he took upon our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The same hand, the same hands scarred by us are the same hands that conquers what scares us. The same hands. I know we're living in scary, scary times. And it's just getting scarier. I mean, think about it. Six weeks ago, not six years ago, not six months ago, six weeks ago, the economy was booming six weeks ago. Jobs were secure six weeks ago. Unemployment rate was low six weeks ago. Schools were full six weeks ago. We gathered in this place. The church is gathered in rooms just like this in person six weeks ago. Retirement accounts were rising six weeks ago. Housing market was skyrocketing six weeks ago. Stimulus package, they, they, they weren't even on the radar six weeks ago. Tiger King was not king six weeks ago. Toilet paper was on every shelf six weeks ago. Hand sanitizer was an afterthought six weeks ago. Men actually shaved six weeks ago six weeks not six years not six months six weeks in a matter of six weeks all of our American idols all the American dream careers and success and money and bank accounts and property and retirement account they're being crushed like the golden calf at Mount Sinai gone in six weeks gone so what are you scared of 
Well, the good news is that Jesus was scarred for all that you're scared of. He says, I'm the first and the last, like from the beginning to the end. Like nothing happens from the beginning and the end that Jesus is not sovereign over, that he is not aware of, that he doesn't care about. So you have nothing to fear. If you're in Christ, you've got no reason to fear. Fear not. If you're not in Christ, you have every reason to fear. But in Christ, he says, fear not. So maybe what you're scared of is, is death. Now that's the third reason we can say that Jesus is the one who brings hope into your home. Number three, Jesus died but ain't dead. Right? He died but he ain't dead. Number three. And we see this here in verse 18 if you'll look at it uh, with me. He says, and the living one, I died. Okay? Jesus died. He breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. He died. Don't believe the lie that he passed out on the cross and they put him in the tomb, and the coolness of the tomb woke him up. And Don't believe that lie. He died. Now, he walked out of the tomb, absolutely. But before that, he died on the cross, breathed his last, period. But note how the, the Scripture presents this to us in verse 18. It says, I died, and then there's a comma. You see the comma? <laughs> there's not a, I died, period, amen. No, dear friend, because that wasn't the end of it. He died, but there's a comma. He ain't dead. He died, but he's the living one. Now, how can he be living if he died? Well, he was raised from the dead. In fact, he's known as the firstborn from the dead. Not because he was the first one to live and to die and to be raised to life. Lazarus lived and died and was raised before Jesus. But Lazarus died again. Jesus is the first one to live, to die, to be buried, to be raised to life. Never to die again he died he's the living one he lives like it says here he's going through this progression i am the first and the last and the living so you can go ahead and say jesus said i'm the first and last i am the living one not i was the living one or i hope to be the living one or i wish i were the living one i am i live is what jesus says i die but i'm alive i'm the living one i live now think about the scripture you go to genesis Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. You go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy ends with the death of Moses. You go to Joshua. Joshua ends with the death of Joshua. You go over to 1 Samuel. It ends with King Saul's death. You go over to 1 Chronicles and ends with David's death. You go over to 2 Chronicles, it ends with King Uzziah's death. You go to Job, it ends with Job's death. You go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't end with Jesus' death. They end with Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and his soon coming. That's how they end. Why? Because he's alive. Yeah, he died, but he's alive forevermore. But meanwhile, we still have to deal with death. We just have to deal with death. It's a reality. It, it, it's terrible and it's horrible. But this week has been referred to by Trump and others as the week of death, death week for America. More Deaths doubled this week uh, for the COVID-19 epidemic, more than double this week. On, on April the 7th, there were more deaths from COVID-19 than any other disease or means, more than heart disease, more than cancer. And that's terrible. That's horrible. That's awful. It's awful. It's tragic, but let us not lose sight of the fact that even if we had a cure for COVID-19, even if we had a cure for it, that one out of one people are going to die anyway. Ten out of ten people are going to die. A hundred out of a hundred people are going to die. A thousand out of a thousand people are going to die. One million out of one million people are going to die. Listen, the death rate is holding steady at 100%. We haven't put a dent in it. All our education and science and technology and medical, and praise God for all those things, hadn't put a dent in the death rate. It's holding steady at 100%. You know, before COVID-19, every 1.8 seconds, somebody died worldwide. One person dies every 1.8 seconds. Somebody just died. Somebody just died. By the time we're finished with this Easter service, 4,320 people will have died worldwide. That's before 
COVID-19. Death is a reality. Is that terrible? Yes. Is it tragic? Yes. But it's a reality. Death is still responsible for 100% of all fatalities. Death is responsible for all of it. But the good news is that you don't have to be scared of death because Jesus died like he went there, like he's been there, and he's come back never to go there again. And you don't have to either. Yeah, you're going to die physically, but you can live spiritually forever and ever and ever. This is why Jesus is the only one who brings hope into your home. Number four, why is it that Jesus is the one who brings hope into my home? Jesus came alive so you could come alive. Number four, he came alive so you could come alive. Now, I love how the scripture paints this picture in verse 18. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Like not for a little while, not, not for a, a minute, not for a moment. Uh, not for a long time, not for a lifetime, uh, but forevermore, like never-ending, like without end kind of thing. He, he is alive forevermore. See, Easter is not about an empty room like this one or people uh, loading up on Zoom or full Zooms. Easter is about this empty tomb that Jesus came out of. That's what Easter is all about. And he came alive so that you could come alive. I've shared this before with our church, but... We got a dog some time ago named Bailey, and we got our dog. We had a cat already named Oliver, and they just don't get along. They just, they tolerate each other now, but when we first got them, they just didn't like each other. But one day, this third party brought these two together, unlikely friends that brought together by a rabbit. And this rabbit was cornered in, the, in our garage. It was dying. The cat had wounded it. So we shooed the cat away, got the rabbit, went out in the backyard, and the rabbit died in about 10 minutes. So we knew we had to bury the rabbit, so we dug a little grave, had a memorial service. My youngest was ready to kill the cat because the cat killed the rabbit, so we are trying to stop people from killing each other and just have a memorial service. And so we dug a grave and put the rabbit in the grave and had a memorial service. And the next morning we noticed that the, that the grave looked like it had been disturbed. And upon further investigation, we discovered that it had been dug up by our dog Bailey. So these two, the cat who killed the rabbit and the dog who dug up the rabbit, are ever tied together because of this dead rabbit, this third party who died but is now gone from the tomb. And interestingly, if you'll read the history of the first century, you'll read that there were other uh, messiahs uh, who claimed to be messiahs in the first century, after Jesus' death, they're called rabbis. Not rabbits, but rabbis. And these rabbis would have followers, and they would die, and they would claim to be Messiah. But their followers, after they died, you know, N.T. Wright writes and says, there's not one indication at all that in every case, these would-be Messiahs who got crucified in Rome, just as Jesus did, not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the, their disappointed followers claiming their rabbi had been raised from the dead. They knew better, right? There's only one. His name is Jesus. He came alive so you could come alive. In fact, he says that in, in John 11. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus came alive so you could come alive. Number five, last one. How is it that Jesus is the one that brings confident assurance into your home? Number five, Jesus decides who lives and dies. How do we know that? Look at the end of verse 18. Very clearly it says, I have the keys of death in Hades. Jesus didn't say we have the keys of death in Hades. Or John has the keys of death in Hades. He says, I have the keys of death in Hades. Death speaks of what happens to our body, physical death. Hades speaks of our soul, the place of the dead in the Old Testament. And so here's a picture that Jesus painted about eternity, that he holds the keys of eternity, that he's the one who determines who gets into heaven and who, gets into, and who is thrown into hell. 
Like, he has the key. Like, this is why the Bible tells us Jesus alone has authority on earth to forgive sin. Why? Because he's got the keys. He, he's, he, he has the access and he has the authority because he holds the keys. Sure, Satan may be the gatekeeper and he may keep the gates to hell, but guess who is the keeper of the keys? Jesus is the keeper of the keys. Satan may have the gates, but Jesus has the keys. He determines and he alone determines who gets in and who doesn't. He is the door that people must go through if you're going to be saved. He's the one who determines if you will wake up in eternity in the glory of his presence or if you'll wake up in a place separated, created, established for Satan and all his angels, all his demons. So what's it going to be? Jesus makes it pretty clear when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's it. I want you to think about something. I've heard some wild stories during this COVID-19 epidemic. One of them, who is up there at the top? I heard a couple of weeks ago that there were some reports out of some pharmacies that people were calling pharmacies and saying, look, I'm coming to get my dose of the COVID-19 cure. The vaccine. I'm coming to get my have it ready when I get there, and the farmers had to say, "Look, there is no vaccine," and the and 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 the customers say, "You don't understand. I'm coming to the pharmacy to get my vaccine, and I'm not leaving until you give it to me." Well, it doesn't exist, right? And it just got me to thinking. All right, let's think about this for a moment. All right, let's think about the fact that that we want to believe so much. In a vaccine, and yes, we want a vaccine for COVID-19. Praise God when it comes. Praise the Lord when it comes. And we want to believe so much that there's a vaccine for what we think is our greatest need, COVID-19. And that got me to thinking. Man, what if you got an, in your inbox an email that said, hey, there's a vaccine with your name on it for COVID-19. Come to the pharmacy and pick it up. Would you go pick it up? Would you go out of your way to pick it up? Would you do anything in your power to go get it? Well, of course you would. Of course. Well, what if I told you that you have a greater threat than COVID-19? What if I told you that there's a virus that can not only damage your body and kill your body like COVID-19 can do, but there's a virus out there that can kill your soul? What if I told you that? What if I told you it was more deadlier than COVID-19? Because not only does it affect the body, it kills the soul. And what if I told you that there's already a vaccine? Like it's already available. Man, it got me to thinking, why are we believing so much in something that doesn't exist yet, a vaccine in COVID-19? And yet Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Like I'm the one who has authority to forgive your sin. And then he asks, do you believe this? And all you have to do is repent and believe. Well, why would you not today, Easter 2020, on your island, in your home, allow Jesus to bring that hope into your home and give your life to him? Why would you not do that? For he is the one who decides who lives and who dies. He asked this question, do you believe this? I pray today, if you don't, that you will repent of your sin. That's a Bible word that means to turn away. We've all like sheep. We've gone our own way. We've gone away from God. And the gospel says you can turn back to Jesus and believe, but you've got to turn away from your sin and look to him. And I pray today you'll do that. I pray right now you can bow your head or you leave your eyes open. It doesn't matter to me. And just say, Father, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that he was buried. I believe that he was raised from the dead. That's why I'm watching today. And I want to put my faith in him as my personal Savior. I would hope that you would make that decision today. And receive the vaccine for the one virus that can kill both body and soul. Be delivered from that today in Christ. Now, if you've done that and you're a believer, I want to let you know something today about Easter and this island that we're on. I want you to know that John wrote down what he saw and apparently it got to the churches because we have it right here. So here's a good word for you today that I hope believer will encourage you. You may be exiled this Easter on an island, but praise God, we can't exile Easter to any island. It's not going to stay there. Now, you may be spending Easter on an island, but you can't suspend Easter to any place, to any island, 
to any jail. You can't chain it. You can't stop it. It's going to go. It's always going. It's going to keep going. This Easter, won't you do what you can to get the good news out? Hey, this is what I want to leave you with, okay? (laughs) Jesus brings hope into your home. Jesus bringing hope into your home. What does that mean? If you were to ask me, Sam, what does that mean? I'd say something like this. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus is found among us so that his Father can adopt us. See, Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus is still calling the lost because Jesus is still coming at last. See, Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus, he can change your life because he is the life changer. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus can make your home different because he alone is the difference maker who makes all the difference. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus' cross makes us family because his death put death to death finally. See, Jesus bringing hope into your home means that that Jesus alone forgives the sin in your home because he is alive forevermore in his home. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that his grace is plenty because his grave is empty. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that he is still the only hope for your household because he is still the only hope for humanity. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that he can remake your marriage because he is the maker of marriage. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that he can remake you because he made you. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus is not new at making things because right now he is making all things new. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that His resurrection, it is relevant to you because His rest is really for you. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus alone saves because He's the lone Savior. It means that Jesus bore the Father's wrath on a hill called Calvary because He bore our sin on the tree in His body. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that yes, this Easter we may not be all together. But you are not alone. And fear is a liar because Jesus is alive. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus bowed his head so that we could be raised from the dead. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus breathed his last so we could breathe at last. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that Jesus gave up his spirit so you could be filled with the spirit. It means that Jesus prayed and said, Father, forgive them so that we could be forgiven by him. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that, yes, although your family is a hot mess, Jesus is the one who can give you another chance. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that although death is conniving, we can know ultimately death is dying that faith is arising and fear is is lying because grace is guiding and hope is not hiding. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that goodness, the good news of God is so good. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that the good news is this, the goodness of God is so good. Jesus bringing hope into your home means that good God, God is good.
Good day. 